just for online tonight and then on Sunday, right? Okay. So you ready? <laughs> Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, uh, in this difficult time where there are so many people who are hurting and struggling and so much uh, anger and injustice and pain, we just pray that you will help us to focus on you right now, that you will help us, Father, to be your light in a dark world, that you will help us, Father, to uh, understand your truth and find your strength and your encouragement. And Father, uh, we pray that as we open your word, that you will uh, help us to open our hearts that we might hear from you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are in this series called You Ask For It, uh, Answers to Life's Big Questions. And we're dealing with questions that were submitted by people within our church. And well, can I just say, I'm not real sure about some of your questions. I mean, the first one was okay. If I'm sincere, doesn't matter what I believe. But last week we talked about what will happen when I die. And next week, we're going to deal with why does Jesus say I have to hate my family to follow him? Because, well, that's a really great topic for Father's Day. And this week, we're going to deal with the question, is this the end times? People, we need some happier questions. But today, we are going to talk about the end times. What do you think about when you think about the end of the world? I think about bomb drills when I was in elementary school in California. Did some of you who are my age uh, and older have bomb drills or was that just a California thing? If you didn't experience bomb drills, they were like fire drills, only when the alarm went off, instead of lining up and going outside, when the alarm sounded, we were instructed to climb under our desks and cover our heads like this. Because, you know, they made those school desks out of metal so strong that it would protect us from bombs dropping on us. It was a normal part of school for me, but I remember every time the alarm sounded wondering if it was the end of the world. In a different way, in recent months and years, it seems like the alarm has been sounding all around us. Things around us happen and we begin to wonder, is this the end? Three people submitted questions about the end times or how our current situation relates to the book of Revelation. Let's use one of the questions specifically to clarify what we're talking about. Here's what it says. With the virus, the fires in Australia, the change in weather, the country burning from fires and riots, and the current political climate, is this the end times? Now, usually, people who uh, ask about the end times or want to study the book of Revelation are looking for messages on some of the common current teachings, things like the rapture, which is not a word that's used in the Bible at all, or the Antichrist, or different dispensational views on when the great tribulation will occur in relationship to Jesus' coming. 
And many have read the series Left Behind, which are really well-written and entertaining books. But in my opinion, what has been left behind in those books is biblical theology of how Jesus will come again. Now, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Two of my Bible college professors, both of whom were scholars and mentors to me, had totally opposite opinions of what would happen in the end times. My point being that people far smarter than me disagree on what will happen when Jesus comes. So we can disagree in this area of opinion and still be fine with God. And one day when we get to heaven, uh, we will find out who was right and who was wrong. And, and I suspect we'll find out that we all had it at least a little bit wrong in some area. And I think that's why just before Jesus left the earth, Jesus said that this isn't something that we need to spend lots of time focusing on. His followers had asked him if it was the end. And look at what he said in Acts chapter 1. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, rather than focusing on how and when the world will end, we should focus on sharing our faith with people uh, who will be lost without Jesus. But still we want to deal with the question, is this the end times? And I know I can't answer all of the questions in one message, but I want to talk to you about the book of Revelation and about what it teaches us about what will happen when the world ends. As I indicated, I intend to teach the main message of the book of Revelation in just this one message. So let me give you some background on Revelation. Revelation is a letter. It's a strange letter, but it's a letter from a pastor and a Bible college and a Bible scholar and a theologian and a poet who has been banished to an island. And he's writing to Christians in seven congregations whose lives are in ruins. Christians who are living in dark and dangerous times. And I want you to know what these people had to live through in their time. And I want you to ask yourself, how would you feel? How would you feel? Prior to John writing this letter, they had lived through a devastating series of earthquakes that shook the entire Mediterranean world. And there had also been war. The armies of Parthia, present-day Iran, had thrashed the invincible Roman legions, so their security was shaken. And if that weren't bad enough, if you were a Christian back then, that wasn't a good thing. Rome was not a Christian nation. Rome had ordered all people of the Roman Empire to offer prayers and sacrifices to the Roman emperors who had declared themselves God. And Christians were being blamed for the great fire in Rome. They were the scapegoats. And many Christians were arrested and they were cruelly murdered. They were dressed in animal skins and given over to wild animals. They were nailed to crosses. They were even burned alive as luminaries at night. And it is this reason that John, the apostle, the close friend and follower of Jesus, has been hauled off to an island called Patmos, away from the people and places he loves. He's a follower of Jesus, and he's paying the price for that. 
And while there, John has a vision from Jesus. Jesus wants him to write seven churches in Asia Minor. And as we will see, the letter provides some encouragement, but also provides some warning. With what they were already living through, people thought that it was the end times. And if that weren't enough to shake their faith, Jesus shows John that even worse times are ahead. Jesus knows that uh, events will take place that will shake them to the core of their faith. A, a civil war will result in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Get that, the temple where the presence of God lives will be completely gone. It will be in rubble. And Mount Vesuvius will erupt, bearing whole cities and uh, creating a dark cloud of dust over the entire Mediterranean. There will be famines and economic struggles. So basically, they had lots of natural disasters and political upheaval and economic problems and disease and war. Some of it feels very similar to where we're living now. But I think it was even worse back then. And that is the world that John is writing to. A world that is already terrible and about to get worse. So what is John to do in this situation? What is John to say to his friends who are constantly fighting to survive? He writes a letter. Revelation is what John wants to say, or more accurately, Revelation is a letter that reveals what Jesus has to say to those suffering Christians who are trying to survive, who are trying to hold on to their faith for dear life. And he writes to people who were asking all of the questions that we ask. Why did this happen? Where is God in all of this? Is it worth it? Is this the end? So look at what John says in chapter 1. I'll start with verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart take to heart what is written because the time is near. It says it here in these verses twice and about five times in other places in the book of Revelation at the time that John was writing he said the end was near. Now, most of us think that he was referring to the end of the world and to the return of Jesus. And obviously, here we are almost 2,000 years later, and the world hasn't ended yet. So was John wrong? Or maybe eternally right? The fact of the matter is, all Christians in all generations have believed that they were living in the end times. Paul clearly did. When he was writing, he wrote about those who had already died. And then he said about the end times, we who are alive and remain until the end. And he clearly thought that he would be there when the end came. And John clearly thought that it would be soon. 
I think part of the message of Revelation is the fact that there always has been and there always will be natural disasters and world strife and personal problems that will seem like our world is ending. So instead of trying to nail down if this is the end of the end times, let me point out the clear messages of the book of Revelation, and I think it will help us to be encouraged and comforted today. Well, the first one isn't very comforting, but we need to look at it. One clear message of Revelation is times are tough and will get tougher. As I've already said, if you read Revelation, you read about wars and murder and economic problems, a, a quarter of the people on earth dying, Christians being killed, earthquakes, and all of that is just in Revelation chapter 6. There are more disasters and plagues and judgments listed elsewhere in the book. Basically, it teaches times are tough and will get tougher. But this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because Jesus told us this in John 16. Here's what he said. Here on earth we will have many trials and sorrows. And the apostle Paul said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, I don't mean to be discouraging, and I know it's popular for Christian leaders to ignore uh, this fact and just focus on the positive, but I'm committed to telling you the truth, and the truth is, nowhere in the Bible does it promise us an easy life. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise us an easy life. Jesus promises pain. And Revelation makes it clear there will be lots of pain. Revelation talks about the great tribulation. And for them, in John's day, it was the Roman Empire, the destruction of the temple and the persecution and murder of people who followed Jesus. They would have seen that as the great tribulation that John referred to. What will it be for us? It might be a global pandemic or terrorist attacks or a divided country filled with hate or nuclear war or natural disasters or the same persecution that's taking place in other parts of the world coming to Christ followers here in our country. And we really don't know what it will be, but the Bible and specifically the book of Revelation tells us that probably times are going to get worse so what does Revelation have to say to the people then and now undergoing suffering and pain? People who believe that as bad as it is, that the worst is yet to come. If you were Jesus, what would you tell John to say to people to encourage them, to help them through suffering, to offer comfort and peace and hope? What would you say? Well, that brings us to the next main message of Revelation. And that message is this, Jesus will win in the end. Jesus will win in the end. Remember I said that many of the bad things that were going to happen were listed in chapter 6 and some other bad things are listed later in the book. Well, before that list of things begins, we read about how Jesus wins. The passage is long, but let me read it to you. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. 
the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had its harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Everyone in heaven falls down to worship Jesus in this passage. They worship the lamb who has been slain and come back to life. He is worthy of our praise and the praise of all of heaven because he paid the price with his own blood and he made us right with God again. He won. Jesus is the lamb who won by dying. And no matter how bad things get in our world, no matter how bad things get just before the world ends, nothing changes the fact that Jesus wins. And we can be okay in these hard times because we know no matter how bad things get, nothing will defeat Jesus. Nothing as small as a global pandemic is going to defeat Jesus. If they succeed in taking down all of the crosses and removing all references to God in every public area, it won't ultimately matter because Jesus still wins. It won't be fun if they outlaw Christianity and start persecuting Christians but it won't defeat Jesus. No matter how hard things get or how much tragedy strikes us, no matter how much we suffer for our faith in Jesus, Jesus still wins. Jesus still wins. And if you wonder how people throughout history have endured persecution, how they've endured the abuse of their faith, I think they just remembered Jesus has won. Jesus is one. They refused to forfeit the game due to pain when they knew that they were on the winning team. Revelation tells us Jesus Christ has won the victory over every evil. And even though it might not seem like it when times are tough, God is still in charge. Even when things seem to be spinning out of control, we can stay calm because he is in charge of history and our world and ultimately, he's in charge of our lives because Jesus has won the victory. And not only has Jesus won, but Revelation is clear. He will judge. Those wrongs will be made right because Jesus will sit on the judgment seat and he'll reward those who are faithful to him and punish those who have rejected him. But let's look at one more clear message from Revelation. That's this. We win if we belong to Jesus. We win if we belong to Jesus. Revelation talks about battles and conflicts, but it talks about Jesus the conqueror. And over and over it says that when he wins the battle, his church full of his followers conquer with him. 
Look at this verse from Revelation 17. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. That's us. If you have trusted Jesus to forgive you and you are striving to follow him fully, you are part of his army. You are one of his called, chosen, and faithful followers. No matter how difficult it gets, if we belong to him, we are part of his army. He wants us standing with him when he wins the last battle. He wants us to be faithful to him. So if I want to be sure that I win with Jesus, first of all, be sure you're ready. Make sure that you have turned away from sin and turned to God and have trusted him for salvation. In Revelation chapter 9, we read this, but the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. Several times it says, in the midst of plagues, the people got angry at God and didn't repent. They could see that God was powerful. In fact, for at least part of the time, the followers of God were protected from all of the bad things going on. But even though they could see that God had won and that his people were winning with him, they still didn't turn to God. They still didn't turn to God. In Revelation, some of the problems that they experienced were punishment. Most of the suffering that we have today isn't directly punishment as it may be in the last days. But our pain is often a result of sin. Sometimes a result of our own sin. Sometimes the sin of other people. And whether your pain is a result of your own sinful choices or uh, it's pain caused by the sin of someone around you, the solution is the same. When bad times hit, use it as a reminder to turn back to God. When your life is filled with pain because of your own sin, turn back to God. Do life his way and watch him ease uh, your pain as you obey him. And if your pain is a result of someone else's sin, turn to God for comfort and for peace and for strength. No matter how or when Jesus comes, we need to be ready and be sure that we have turned to him for salvation. Second, if you want to be sure you win with Jesus... Don't give up. Don't give up. As we've already mentioned, times that are already pretty tough are probably going to get worse as the end times approaches. And this might be extreme problems or it might be just normal ones. Illness in our family or rebellion in our kids or disappointment in our church or in our political leaders or betrayal from people that we love and when it happens our tendency is to want to quit we don't feel like serving in church anymore we don't feel like talking to people about Jesus and helping them find out about his forgiveness and we don't feel like following Jesus when it seems to hurt so bad to follow him and when we hurt we just want to give up on Jesus or give up on his body and his bride, the church. We want to pull away from people and just kind of take care of ourselves. But the message of Revelation is clear. 
Don't give up on your faith. Look at these verses in Revelation 14. It says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And then in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says, I will give power over the nations to everyone who wins the victory and continues to be obedient to me until the end. Don't miss it. The reward goes to those who stay faithful to Jesus until the end. To the people who keep sharing the love of Jesus with people even though they've been rejected many times. To the people who stick with their friends and love them like Jesus would even when their friends walk boldly back into sin. To the leaders who stay faithful to the end and make unpopular but biblical choices. The victory goes to those who don't quit. Just hold on. Just endure the difficult times and live faithfully for Jesus. Revelation's main concern is spiritual survival. It reveals how the church can survive in a hostile world. The book proclaims the wonderful faith-building news that despite appearances to the contrary, God is in charge. He's in charge of history and of our world, and he's in charge of our lives. Revelation assures us of a future in which evil will end, even though we might not personally live to see evil end. It tells us that many of the hurts and sufferings that Christian go th Christians go through here are not in vain. We may suffer in this life, but in the end, Jesus wins and we win with him. So let's answer the question, is this the end times? My answer, maybe. And maybe not. We want to know exactly when Jesus will come again, when it will happen. And Jesus said, even he didn't know the date or the time. But here's the truth we need to hear. Jesus' second coming may happen at any time. His coming may happen. He may end history with a shout tonight. Or he may come for you in the form of a car accident or a sudden medical event. However he comes for us, let's be ready. Let's share his victory. Let's win with him because we have trusted the one who has uh, died and then come back to life. The one who's worthy of our praise and our love. And we can rest in the fact that Jesus has defeated the world once and for all. And this message is personal. Revelation ends with an invitation for all of us who want to experience victory with Jesus. It ends with an invitation to you. Here's what it says. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Everyone who hears this should say, come. If you are thirsty, come. If you want life-giving water, come and take it. It's free. The one who has spoken these things says, I am coming soon. So Lord Jesus... Please come soon. That's our prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have loved us and that because Jesus has won, we can win with him if we trust in him. And so, Father, I pray for each person hearing this message that they might make sure that they belong to Jesus, that they might give themselves fully to him and turn to him.
Father, we pray that we will not give up, that we will continue to be faithful to you until the end. And Father, we want to tell you that when we've trusted in Jesus, our prayer is just simply this, Lord Jesus, please come soon. We're ready, Father, for the pain and the injustice and the problems of this world to end. We're ready to enter heaven with you. But until that day, help us to be faithful to you, reaching out to others who are lost so that they might find the hope that we've found in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're listening to this and you've not yet made a decision for Christ, if you're listening online at the end of this broadcast, there will be a box where you can fill out your name and email address. And if you want to talk to one of us about your relationship with Christ, please put your information there. Or you can just email me at steve at impactpittsburgh.com. And we would love to have you taste that life-giving water that Jesus offers to all who will respond to him. And so if you need to do that, I hope that you will take the time to email me or to fill out that form uh, at the end of this broadcast. And now it's time for our offering. The offering time for us is not just a way to pay the bills. It's an act of worship. It's a way for us to say to Christ that he's significant in our life, significant enough to give to, and we're so thankful that he lets us be partners with him in what he's doing in this world and in our church and the lives that he's changing. We get to be financial partners in that as we give. And so I hope that you will take the time to click the link and to give. Let's pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have given to us. And now, Father, we want to show you by our gifts how much we love you, how committed we are to your cause. And we thank you, Father, that you have given to us all good things. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.